Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome everyone, you're on the Paradigm Shift with Ian and today we're continuing a series on the local government elections that are coming up on the 28th of March. Very interesting set of elections because of the stench of corruption that was revealed by Operation Belcara through the Crime and Corruption Commission. I'm going to be interviewing a, a, a mayoral candidate for Ipswich today. His name is Pat Walsh. He's running for the Greens. But I've got a special guest with me today. Could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, good day, Ian. Uh, my name's Bill Heck. I'm a d- candidate for Division 3 uh, at the Ipswich City Council elections. And I think your stench of corruption for Ipswich is more like a cricket score of corruption because we kind of had 15 out there for 90 um, odd charges. So uh, it, it goes back a long way and it's it's time for a paradigm shift within the way that we do local government there, I think. Do you remember that show, Yes Minister? And in it they had a, an episode and uh, it was called Yes Minister, A Moral Question. Do you think there's a moral question in the election this year? Um, I don't think so. There is a question of ethics, uh, f- for certainly, uh, and people will be looking at just who their candidates are and where they come from in relation to um, what, what they will expect from them. Uh, uh, there are candidates who are, who are putting their hand up who were on the previous council, but most of the fra- faces you're seeing are fresh, and, and a lot of the faces you're seeing are, um, well, they're, they're people who've decided it's an opportunity for them to uh, to jump into government, so they're trying to get on board with it as well. Currently, the Ipswich Council is under an administrator appointed mm-hmm. about 18 months ago by the state government after they sacked the previous council. Have you met with the administrator? No, I haven't met with the administrator. I, I have another life outside running for council uh, that makes it a little bit harder. I haven't met him, but I've read a lot of the stuff that he's done and I'm not disappointed in in what's going on in the city. And in the people that I've been talking to, there is an appetite there to actually keep the administrator on and not worry about a council at all. Could we just address your background that qualifies you for being a candidate for the election? Uh, Okay, look, I uh, I was born in Ipswich and I grew up there. I went to uh, the local high school, St Edmunds. After that, I got into uh, gardening. I'm I'm a gardener a long time. Gardener, so um, studied horticulture, that sort of stuff. Spent 20 years doing that, moved around. Then I moved back to Ipswich, and um, that was back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And that's when Paul Pasali started to come into council. I had a lot of running uh, letters to the editor fights with him and Paul Tully over the time as to their vision for Ipswich, because it looked to me then like it was being sold out to the developers, which, you know, has proven to be the case. From there, uh, I actually joined the army. 
I went to university, I've got three degrees and I have 18 plus years in the army where I was commissioned from the ranks and I'm, I'm now a major. So I've been deployed six times and I, I'm, I'm very capable at what I do. Are you now or have you ever been a member of the Australian Labor Party? Never been a member of the Labor Party. I, I was a member of the Greens years ago and I actually ran in several elections for them on the Gold Coast but that's like in the past and I was a member of the National Party for a little while. They don't see the, the world the way, that I, the way that I see it. Well a lot of Greens are disaffected Labor voters, aren't they? Yeah, look, at the last state election I was on a polling booth and Joanne Miller was there, like she's in the news now. As people were walking in, I was handing them out, I had a vote card for the Greens because uh, Brett was running and he was my mate. And I was saying to them as they went in, like, vote Green, it's it's like voting Labor except you feel better about yourself in the morning. And uh, Joanne Miller got all upset about that. You can't say that. Yeah, of course I can, Joanne. That's exactly what it is. So it, it is, the, the the Greens are affiliated with the left. But look, I'm, you, you talk about a paradigm change, okay? And I, I actually believe we don't have that left-right paradigm anymore. It's not a left-right thing because um, that was an industrial age thing that was brought about by Marx. So you've got your means of production that create which side of the, the political spectrum that you that you stand on. We've broken now more into, uh, because we have we're a part of the information age, We've broken more now into whether you're a nationalist or you're a globalist. And very much the major parties and the Greens all sit on that globalist side. And then, then of course, we know who the nationalists are. You've got Pauline and Fraser Ranning and those sort of people out there. And a big chunk of the Liberal Party wants to be nationalist because they want to appeal to those people. So we, we see ourselves split down along that paradigm. Now, I myself am a globalist very much. And I, I, I believe in, in, in climate change as a real thing and we need to address that. And we need to address that properly through carbon sequestering and carbon trading. We can't have it as a tax. We actually have, it to have to have it as a trade. And in a zero-carbon economy, carbon becomes money. That's how you measure it. And we need to start to take that sort of view to it because even if the Australian government does nothing about carbon over the next 10 years. If we want to export a product to a country that has a zero carbon economy, we will have to meet their carbon debt for that particular product, which puts the price of products up. And if we can't balance our carbon in this country, we may well end up as a third world nation. Okay, on the strength of that, I'm here with Bill Heck, and we're about to talk to Pat Walsh, who is a, a mayoral candidate for the city of Ipswich. Let's go to that interview now. Could you please introduce yourself? This is Pat Walsh from Ipswich, running for mayor in 2020. Have you ever been a member of the Labor Party? Uh, no, I haven't. <laughs> Interesting question. No, I haven't. But I am a, a member of the Greens Party and have been for quite a few years. And, and have you ever been a member of the Liberal Party? No, I haven't. This is a, a wide open election because of the number of candidates for mayor and also for councillor positions in four divisions. Is this the first local government climate change election? Yeah, that's uh, an interesting one. I would say possibly yes. I think as a Green we've always had climate change in the mix, but um, yeah, certainly for the first time I think with the bushfires recently and in our neighbourhood obviously floods, uh, I think climate change um, is being recognised now much more strongly and I think even just meeting people on the streets is a bit more recognition that we need to take action. So yes, I would say probably yes. What are the other main issues for your campaign? Well, the first one, which I'm sure everybody is talking about, is that um, for Ipswich, it's, it's a working class town, but it gave its democracy away to property developers and um, large waste companies. And um, so they could generate large profits. So 
the first thing to do is take our democracy back and that that i think is uh, the first order of business and from my point of view i feel in the mayor's role that the most important part of that role is to lead from the top and help build the culture that the administrator has already been rectifying. Operation Belcara identified that one of the main sticking points with the candidates in the 2016 election was that they ran as groups but did not acknowledge this and did not that when people were voting for them, they didn't realise that they were voting for really a group of, of candidates muscling up and using funds to, to help each other. How would you address that question? Well, I think the steps they've taken through the ECQ are pretty strong steps. Um, I think there's a whole different complexion around this election this time around. The ECQ have been uh, very vocal and they've put um, also a lot of procedures and steps in place to capture that type of uh, bad behaviour and bad activity. From my point of view though, I am the only badged candidate in the in this election and I'm standing for the Greens and I think the first point I would make is that I am putting myself and my credentials in front of our community but I'm doing that in an open way. I stand for the principles that the Greens stand for, which is social justice and the environment and participation in democracy. So those principles are what people will get and it's very clear what they're getting. I think other candidates uh, do have party affiliations which will be relevant when they're in office and unfortunately the um, electorate are being asked to do the hard work of finding out what those credentials are and therefore what the likely influence is down the track, which I think is, is not right. Well, in the, in the 2016 election, one candidate actually had two bank accounts. Under the Electoral Act, of course, you should only have one bank account for donations. So do you think that they have tightened it up sufficiently to make that less lightly this time around? Um, look, I do. I, I do think that the rules are pretty clear and the um, weekly reporting that we're doing at the moment and the real-time reporting that will come later uh, make it very difficult to have what I would term off-balance sheet accounts. I guess it's not impossible, though. Yeah, I'm an accountant by trade, so it, it's possible to have support for your campaign that is... Um, um, you know, background support, um, and but but certainly the financial support and the um, donation of funds and the management of expenses is mu is much clearer and much tighter this time around. And the uh, previous uh, uh, administration, they set up a number of private companies. Those companies were part of the way in which the vehicle that they used for dealing with developers, for dealing with waste operators, and also for ripping off the ratepayers of Ipswich. Now, as I understand it, the administrator has not wound up at least one of those companies. What would you be doing with regard to that whole issue of council setting up these private companies to be a sort of a, a middleman in their dealings with business? I think the whole process that Ipswich Council went through in setting these companies up was, was badly abused. So I think there are two things here, Ian. There's the process that they went through, which is setting up companies, uh, but then there's also the governance that they employed in running those companies. And... Um, uh, unfortunately, the councillors weren't any better at running companies than they were at running the council. So they set companies up, didn't have the expertise to run them, got into all sorts of strife, and everybody in Ipswich is very well aware of the 
losses that have been made in the city centre, which have been tallied up to about $80 million. But that's because councillors are not property developers or landlords, and um, they made really bad decisions. And then off the back of that, they were also uh, helping themselves to lifestyle choices like... Um, flying around the world and um, those sorts of things. So that culture is what got them into trouble. The fact that they set companies up, that's a separate issue. It could be done better, but I think there will be, at this point in time, no appetite for Ipswich going down that path again. Uh, I think the steps that the administrators taking to wind companies up is the right step, but also from a legal financial point of view, those companies do need to be wound up in the right way. And uh, the Ipswich City Properties Company has been rolled up into Ipswich City itself, so all of the uh, assets and liabilities have come onto the council's books and then become um, council's problem. With no strings Stands in the corner Outside no wind For a kite Love waits like An unopened letter And it feels Dark as night
That was Jumping Fences with Distant Love, No Telephone. I'm here with Bill Heck. We've just heard the first bit from from Pat Walsh there, uh, who's running for the Greens. Can you comment maybe on what Pat was saying there? Sure. He put climate change as being a factor. Oh, look, climate change is going to be a factor in this election, but as we're well aware, the last federal election was fought out on a climate change battleground, and the result in Queensland came in, and no environmentalist was happy with that. But I don't know if the Ipswich City Council local government election is a climate change election. I I think that's a big claim. The people I've been talking to, they're interested in the waste problem because we have an incinerator plan for our city that nobody really wants. And once we lock that in, we lock in the economics of incineration as the way that the waste industry does their business. And, um, yeah, none of us us who live there want that. And, And the other thing people are interested in, obviously, is the corruption and what's going on and how we can make that better. Who is funding your campaign? Um, I've taken a donation from a guy called Roy Wilson, who runs a company called New Grow. Okay? New Grow are a recycling company. They recycle organic matter. They bring in um, green waste. They bring in all sorts of human waste, all sorts of waste from all over the place. And what they do is they treat that and they turn it back into products that you can use back onto the soil. And you put carbon back into the ground. It's what they do. Uh, And they're one of the very few people in this state who actually does that. People decry the fact that, okay, this guy's in the waste industry. Yes, he is. But the waste industry out in Swanbank um, is all privately owned. They're all uh, lobbied for by the WRIQ back into the state government, and they're all run under state government legislation. WIRIQ, what is that? Waste Recycling Industry Queensland. Okay. Okay. They're a very big uh, lobby, lobby group. They lobby directly to the government, the government makes the rules, the EPA polices the rules, and the Ipswich City Council, we don't actually play very much within that space. That's why it costs $12 a trailer load to take your stuff to the tip, is because that then has to go back to New Grow or whoever is dealing with that waste in order for them to be able to process it. Because the waste industry makes money when they bring waste in. They don't make money at the other end. So if you've got an incinerator that's burning hordes and hordes of rubbish, they can bring more in and make more money because then they don't have to worry about the end product. New Grow take all that stuff and basically turn it into uh, material they can put back onto farms, which is what they do with it. Methane is often yes. a product, product, and that's a greenhouse gas. I know that people talk about the stench at Ipswich from the waste. Hmm. So how do you address that question of are there being greenhouse gases that are being emitted from the, from the waste? There's two types of carbon. There's biocarbon and there's fossil carbon. Okay, biocarbon we have within the natural carbon cycle. So that's how we deal with bushfires. That's how we deal with um, people burning wood for fuel, etc. In a normal carbon cycle, it's not an issue. What becomes an issue is when we start to load that system full of fossil fuels, and then we we start to get yeah we, we start to get an over uh, an, an overabundance of carbon dioxide, and all of a sudden we have an issue with it with the, with the climate with the planet. Okay, We cannot put the genie back in the bottle. We can't unburn the fuel, right? We can't unburn the coal. We can't do that. But what we can do is we can take the biofuel, the, the biosolids that we produce, and we can put them back in the ground instead of burning them. So when you say that this new grow, they, it's a composting process. Yes, that, it, it's a composting saying? process. Now, there's, there's also talk. Um, I had Greg Hallam 
uh, pull me in for coffee one day uh, because I was saying bad things about him somewhere and he bought his solicitor with Now, him. let's identify him. He, L. Greg Hallam, I think, was the CEO of the LGAQ. Yeah, the Local Government Association of Queensland. And they're really just a, um, a lobby group that they've, they've basically taken control as, as a private company. They supply services to councils yes. right across the state, but they're also a professional body that advises government. So yeah. there is a conflict of interest with that. Uh, and uh, look, if Greg was here, he'd be telling me that, no, no, it's all above board, it's all clean, I'm squeaky clean, rah, rah, rah. Okay. But I see a conflict of interest with it. Well, it's right, a multi-billion like dollar business oh, providing yeah. services to council. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had a lot to do with the development of Ipswich Inc. as well. And Paul Pasali did tour in New Zealand on their behalf promoting uh, what the LGAQ do. So they have a hand in this as well. But push, push them to the side. When Greg called me in, he was looking at methane generation as a way to do this. And the LGAQ own their own power companies. They actually have solar farms and stuff in central Queensland. And they're looking at methane generation because they can use the methane directly in the Swan Bank power station because it's gas run. Um, so they could basically take what they produce and then ship it there. But once you produce methane, you produce it in this kind of tent that holds the stench, so you don't get as much of it, but it only reduces the size of the actual bulk stuff you have in there by about 10%. So you still need to get rid of that 90% bulk stuff, which is where you still need a compost farm. We're talking about local government elections, which are coming yeah. up on the 28th. We have a, a prospective councillor in the studio with us. He's running, I believe, for Division 3. Division 3, that's the big three. Let's go back to Pat Walsh now. Should public assets be put into private companies? Fundamentally, no. And I can say that from the point of view that public assets should stay in public hands. It's up to us as citizens and workers to make sure that our assets are used to the benefit of the community. So from a philosophical standpoint, there's no question at all. Yeah, I think closing those companies is a good thing. Ipswich City Council is, not, is notorious for its embarking on providing both Queensland and also other parts of Australia with a, a place to dump waste. And mm. they're there were already issues about toxic wastes in that area for a variety of reasons. A number of councillors have received donations from waste operators. Do you think that that is wise? And if not, what would you do about that? Yeah, there's a, there's a few elements to that question, but the first one, uh, do I think it's wise? No, I think it's um, catastrophic. Um, and I think that, um, again, going back to the Greens credentials, we're very firm about not taking donations from corporates, and that would include waste developers of any sort. It's a bad thing to do because, obviously, um, people who donate from that sort of source are essentially in it for themselves and are looking for something in return. So uh, we can't have our democracy compromised through that sort of uh, behaviour, and I think the company involved was a major donor to the two previous mayors who are both being, con uh, both being convicted. So it's definitely not a wise move and um, there's a bad track record for people doing that. People who visit uh, Ipswich and the local residents say that there's a stench. What is coming out of that waste? What sort of gases? Are they toxic? Or are there other elements that people should be aware of? 
Yeah, look, I, I am not. Um, I'm not an expert in uh, those sorts of matters. I know there's there's obviously methane generation there, but what I am aware of is that some of those industries that are out there are not well regulated, and the the issues that are stemming from that there's there's obviously um, odour issues which are regularly reported. Uh, but there are also health issues likely to be occurring, either uh, breathing issues or, or other health issues. They're, they're generally reported in, in our community. The materials that are being dumped out here, there is lots of suspicion about what materials those are, and certainly even in that um, composting business we're talking about, um, before there are have been reports of um, sort of sullage and inappropriate uh, toxic materials being used in their uh, processing. So one of my uh, policy proposals is that um, Ipswich does a lot to beef up its own uh, council environmental protection unit. And the reason for doing that is that our community needs to take its own safety into its own hands. And not only in the waste space, but Ipswich is slated to become a heavy industry uh, base for South East Queensland through the Shaping South East Queensland plan. And, you know, if state government is intent on Ipswich being a place for heavy industry, then I think Ipswich needs to protect itself. And uh, I think doing that through a council unit that has the community's interest at heart is the best way to go. And that's a... A priority for me that I'll be pushing through um, my uh, council colleagues and hoping to get um, funding for. Ipswich was a, a, heavy, a place of heavy industry. It had railway workshops, it had the power station, it had the coal mines. And then yeah. when they, they folded, there was an attempt to make Ipswich a sort of a, a digital capital for want of a better term. Of course, in the times when Ipswich was a, uh, a place of he heavy industry, for example, there was sand mining in, in Ipswich and there was a lot of toxic material that was used to treat that sand and it went into the waterway. You know, there was from uh, things like car painters and, 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 and the like, there was a lot of, um, of hydrocarbons ditched into the, the waterway. So how can the council make sure that Ipswich is clean and green. Yeah, so um, obviously I've talked about that um, environmental protection unit, but you, you make a really good point. And I, to be honest, I wasn't aware of the sand mining uh, here, but Ipswich is all about uh, its heritage and it's got a really proud industrial heritage as well. And obviously the railways and, and other workshops, woolen mills and so on were the lifeblood of the town but they also have created a lot of um, damage environmentally over our history so um, I think there is a point here that Queensland has a responsibility as well to Ipswich um, I think Ipswich has been that industrial heartland and it's proposed that it will be again and I believe there's uh, a state government responsibilities to, su to support Ipswich in the reparation of what damage has been done in the past but also to protect us from uh, what happens in the future and my role as mayor um, there's, a, there's a, definitely a strong role in there for an advocate for the town and I certainly would be advocating for stronger action from state and even federal government on some of these issues because yeah the railways that Ipswich built uh, benefited the whole of the state and I think there is um, uh, you know there's a time now 
where Ipswich needs um, support in repairing that damage that people are really conscious of or newly conscious of um, in ways that they haven't been in the past. That was Pat Walsh, who's the Greens candidate for mayoral position in, in Ipswich. We're here yeah. with Bill Heck, who's running in Division 3. Ipswich Council has been under administration for 18 months, appointed mm-hmm. by the state government. One of the things that they did was they set up community reference groups mm-hmm. and on different issues like environment. Why should we elect? Why should we elect our councils? Because when, it, when push comes to shove, someone has to make a decision. And that's what leadership is about. And that's why we elect leaders. We can have all the good advice from all the committees. We can go around, we can survey all the individuals, all the community. We we can talk to everybody. But at the end of the day, someone has to make a decision. Well, one of the decisions that Administrator made was to wind up the private companies set up by the previous administration. Mm -hmm. So I assume that he made that decision because he could see that that was really corrupt practice. Look, um, those those particular companies are a bane of people's existence. The the Courier Mail for years tried to get um, a freedom of information claim up against Ipswich City Properties. Um, They wanted to have a look at the books because there was talk that the company was insolvent. The council through the deputy mayor at the time, spent $80,000 of ratepayers' money in a defensive action in court to make sure that those uh, books couldn't be looked at. They claimed that the because the corporation was set up separate to the council, it didn't come under the government's laws and the court found that way. So they managed to hide the books from what was actually going on. Now, that company, was it set up to develop the, the heart of Ipswich? The icon building, principally. And yeah. there was a deal done with that, with the state government at the time. I think it was with Campbell Newman. Um, that It could have even been with Anna Bly and Campbell Newman knocked it on the head. But it was done, done with one of the governments to... Um, they were basically going to rent the whole thing for state government offices. Um, and that was going to be great because that, that way they were going to be able to get uh, their money back or however they did it in their budget and they're planning for it. Um, but because the government changed, uh, they reneged on the deal and all of a sudden Ipswich City Properties is stuck with uh, all this debt and all this property they can't pay for. Ipswich is a working class town. Yes. In the past it always provided employment but now unemployment is a huge question because basically people are just using it as a dormitory suburb and going and working elsewhere and there's no money coming back into the town so the town is dying very much very much it's um i'm part of, we're, we're running i'm running with a, a lady called uh, alison lewis okay and we're running as a team and our name's team work and we're running as a team because we have a running mate because there's two people per division so uh, we we want people to elect us both um, you're not allowed to preference in this election, but we're asking electors both. You get two ones. Um, but we're called Team Work because work is the biggest challenge that's facing the people of Ipswich because there's not the industry growth there, okay? We have an amazing resource in that we have people prepared to drive thousands of kilometres to dump their rubbish at our door. Um, and I don't know why we're not making better use of that because it is a resource and that's how you grow industry is you take resource and then you turn it into other products that you can sell and people can actually work on to make. Um, so that's one, one thing that we're looking at. The industry we have there is very much food related. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is Ipswich's location in relation to the rest of the world. We're the, we're the closest legitimate 
Brisbane has the closest legitimate port to Asia. We have an airport that's just down the road from it. We have the highway disconnects there and goes to the south as well as goes to the west, and you can also get to the north from there. Ipswich is a strategically located city unquestionably. It's just we need to be able to bring more industry to it to see the benefits of it. And food, food is one of those things that the, the market in Asia for food is, 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 is growing exponentially. It's interesting teamwork, that motto that you've got there. Mm. Do you make a distinction in your, your thinking and your policy between real jobs uh, like industry, manufacturing, mining even, is it, it's real jobs, and uh, make a distinction between that and, for example, in the retail sector of food, where people are working in coffee shops? Well, look, if, if my son came home to me and said, Dad, look, I aspire to be a barista. Um, look, nothing wrong with a barista. I love baristas. Okay, but I wish he'd just be a little bit more ambitious. Yeah. Now, the food industry jobs, they're actually food manufacturing. Okay, we have places like Sunny Queen, JBS, those guys who, who manufacture processed food to send overseas. It's not like doing croissants. Um, but those cafe jobs, okay, they're, they're an opportunity for people to get into the job market, um, as I see it. That's, that's, that's where we're employing our 17 and 18 and 19-year-olds, um, is, is learning to do that sort of stuff. And then from there, they're looking at careers as to what they want to do, what they've got interests in. Um, I, I know for myself when I left school, I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do because um, what my, my vocation actually found me. Um, but, yeah, the, the entry jobs, the cafes and stuff, we need them, okay? But what we really need is those jobs and those industries which will pick, pe which will pick kids up, will train them in a trade, whether that's an electrician or a carpenter, whatever it is, okay? And at the end of that, those, those people can actually go out and train other people. Um, and, but we don't have that anymore. We don't have the railways like we used to have. Um, my cousin went through the railways in Ipswich and he picked up a trade off that. But by the time I got old enough, they weren't really doing that anymore. Um, so we, we've seen that shift. But we've also seen a shift from, from what Ipswich was, was an industrial city. And you mentioned the digital revolution that Paul Pasali tried to bring before. Okay, well, that's coming into reality. Um, where we're looking at people who uh, are going to places like Fire Station 101 and they're, they're developing apps for the new world. They, an app can make you a fortune um, if you have the right thing. Um, and we also need to promote that sort of side of it. I, I'm not talking that Ipswich should become a Silicon Valley, but I think we can start to become a global city and start to think about where we fit in the, in the wider world and how we actually make our way there. It's interesting what you say there because, I mean, it sounds good, but creating work, um, mm. especially, you know, working in coffee shops, even working in processing food, they're, they're low-wage, low-conditions work. Now, particularly in a town like Ipswich, which was a union town, where they and they protected... They protected their wages and conditions probably as strongly as Wollongong, mm. uh, Melbourne, some of the big centres where they were all very unionised. So with the decline in unions, should it still be, you know, should it be that these new jobs you're creating, one element to them is that to encourage people to join the union? Um, I've never been a fan of a union, so I'm probably the wrong person to be asking that question. 
Um, I think a union relates more to a to a bigger industry where where you've got a lot of workers um, in one location or or spread across a number of locations who are seeking similar things. Um, I don't think you get uh, a barista's union up off the ground. Well, the, his campaign manager actually runs the retail and fast food uh, union here in Brisbane, and they they are being they're getting into that area and they're being quite successful because. There's, there's such poor conditions. Mm. I know it's hard, um, but I can't... Can you see any other way to protect workers? Well, look, if, if you want to talk about th- those particular guys getting a, a, getting a bad time, OK, we can start to look at backpackers and those particular individuals who practically work as slaves in some of the farms around Queensland, OK? That's that's the closest thing to slavery I've seen in a long time, yeah? Yeah. Now, now people, people are putting up with bad conditions at work because there's not enough work to go around so they have to. And that's just the way that it goes. If there's a lot of work, okay, places start to get unionised because labour becomes scarce and and it becomes more valuable. So it it becomes worth looking after that labour. The fact is that there isn't enough work around now to make a labourer as valuable as they were. And I I just wish there were. I I just wish we could, you know, if if I had cried unicorn tears and said wishes, wishes, uh, I I wish we had some modern car plant in Ipswich that we could take people to and teach them how to be panel beaters, teach them how to be mechanics, um, so that, you know, we can take... They can take those skills out of there and we have places like that that can be industrialised and unionised so that people can work there for for years. We're going to go to the the next section of Pat Walsh's discussion... And we'll be back to you soon. You're on the Paradigm Shift. You're on community radio. This is a radio station made and run by volunteers like myself. It's, we are sort of a union as well. <laughs> let's, let's go and hear what Pat Walsh has to say. There are four divisions where, that, where there are candidates running. Division one is like Raceview out towards Willow Bank. Division two is Goodna around that area. Division three is really Ipswich Central, and Division four is Brassel and Ironbark. Yeah. And and in some of those, there are up to there are over twenty candidates for I think only two uh, councillors per division. Yeah, now right. now what criteria should voters apply in deciding which candidate should receive their vote? Yes, that's a good question. I. I think the the role of councillors and the mayor are to form uh, essentially a board of directors for council. So um, there needs to be um, people with vision and uh, a view of the Ipswich area and how the whole area, uh, and it is about 80 kilometres east to west, um, pulls together. So they need to have a, a vision and they need to have a vision beyond their division. The whole community will thrive together because uh, if we don't thrive together and it becomes a divisional, you know, there are divisional splits, then that essentially goes back to the culture we had before where people are looking uh, only at their own backyard and, and that won't um, that won't cut it in the, in the years ahead when we're going through massive growth. So they need to be looking for people who are not into the detail, you know, in, into um, specific projects in, in specific backyards, but need to be talking about what the, the um, city together can achieve and have a view of Ipswich in 10 or 20 years. And they need to be people who are um, motivated by sustainability. Um, 
We've talked a bit about our environment, but the environment is paramount. We are um, going through and recognising climate change now in new ways. So they need to be very conscious of the environment that we're now living with and through. So um, they need to be uh, environmentally aware, have that, have that sustainability. Um, I've got a real benefit in my working background that I'm a chartered accountant, so I've got a, a financial grounding, but having some idea of how an organisation that will turn over, you know, between three and four hundred million dollars a year uh, can operate is quite important. Um, and pulling all that together so that um, us as a group of councillors and mayor aren't being the council, we're managing and governing the council, and that's that's what they need to be looking for. A number of councils around Ipswich are, and in the past, have been top-heavy with management, whereas workers in those councils have experienced cutbacks, especially since amalgamation back in, you know, 10 years ago. What is your view of the current administrative levels in the council, are they top heavy? And if they are, would you sack the management team? Sorry, I, I'd probably start by saying that I don't really know enough about the structures within council. I've looked at the org charts, but to, uh, at this stage, come out swinging and talk about um, job cuts, I think would be wholly inappropriate. I think uh, as a council, um, that would be something that you would consider over uh, a much longer time frame. I'd be into evolution, not revolution in that space. And actually, the more important thing, I think, in, in, a work, in the workplace is the culture that uh, we heard about through the last council, the toxic culture of bullying and um, overbearing behaviour. And I think the workers who are there need to be respected first and foremost. And um, there needs to be more work and continuing work done on that, um, on that culture. Um, then the workforce and how it is uh, deployed, I think, is a, is a longer-term budgeting question. And if there are uh, requirements to change that structure, because, you know, for example, uh, it's found to be top-heavy, then um, it would be up to the council then to take steps to deal with that. But I'd also say that... Because Ipswich is going to be growing over the next 25 years from 200,000 people to 500,000 people, the council uh, probably is unlikely to be shrinking uh, in a significant way anytime soon. So, yeah, uh, evolution, not revolution, and certainly not identifying any class of worker um, at this stage of a, of a campaign and before having all the information. First Nations people have been in Ipswich for thousands of years. During the last administration, there was a move by developers and council to push Aboriginal people off their sacred land at Deebing Creek. Do you support the struggle of the Aboriginal people there at Deebing Creek? Yes, absolutely, I do, yes. Um, this is a really important issue. Um, and um, it's an issue that uh, Ipswich as a, as a community, I think, needs to get, gather around. Um, yes, that community out there uh, are fighting for their rights. They're expressing their sovereignty. And um, I think that's really important and they should be respected in that. 
Uh, and from what I know of the situation there, um, Ipswich seems to have um, you know, a real um, piece of history within its boundaries uh, and that Deeping Creek mission that was there um, I think has a lot um, to tell not only Ipswich but probably uh, Queensland and maybe the whole of Australia about our colonial past and I think the developer who is uh, involved in that development there um, needs to um, have that development um, um, stopped and um, stopped in a way that we can actually as a community understand what we're dealing with here and um, review that development application, review the site properly, um, take the time to investigate the history, um, listen to the First Nations people that are there and um, move forward slowly and methodically um, and with full consultation and listening to those First Nations people. That was Pat Walsh talking about um, the very important issue with Deebing Creek. What I wanted to ask you, Bill, was mm -hmm. there's been a lot of development around Ipswich where you've got houses cheek by jowl in places like Ripley. How do we get away from that? That's, that's not a good way for people to live. Uh, unfortunately, Ian, all that stuff that they're going to do out there over the next 10 years has all been pre-approved and it's pretty much, because they approved it as a master plan, if someone wants to develop it and it's done according to the master plan and the council says no, they just go to the uh, planning and approval court in town and they get it rubber stamped as being done. So there's not a lot we can do with the stuff that's already been approved. What I want to look at, though, is bringing high-rise development into the city of Ipswich. People are screaming out for more to happen in the centre of town because the place is dead. It seriously is. And the only way we're going to bring people back into the town is we either pay them $10 and give them free beer, uh, which we're probably not going to do because it's not sustainable, or we build places so that people can live in there. Like, like a real-world city, like, like what happens in most other places in the world in cities. I want Ipswich to start having a skyline. I want Ipswich to, to start having people who live in town, who shop in town, who go out in town, and the city needs to have a nightlife again because we haven't had a nightlife in that city for more than 10 years now. Um, there's, no, there's one bar you can go out to in town and see a band, and I think that's wrong. And I ask myself if... <coughs> If Barnsley or Farnsley came, came to Ipswich, okay, where would they play? And the answer is there's just about nowhere. Um, so I'd also like to see a soundstage set up at the North Ipswich Reserve so we can actually get Jimmy Barnes in um, and, and maybe a few other bands as well. The, the place is ideal. If we wanted to do a music festival in Ipswich, it would be sensational. Hmm. Look, we're just going to go to a short piece now. You might yeah. be interested in this before we go out. Um, uh, on the 24th of February... Uh, Julian Assange is going to trial in the UK to be extradited to the to the US on charges where he will spend the rest of his life in jail. So Julian's father is being interviewed here by a local journalist mm -hmm. and would just like to have a listen to what he has to say about how Julian is being treated and and what's going on there. So I know it's a bit of a break from talking about local government, but let's just give it a go. Happy to do Julian. When we last spoke, you were off to your BBC interview and then you had the ABC interview with Federal MPs Andrew Wilkie and George Christensen. How did all that go? Foreign Press Association meeting was tremendous. There was a 22 camera teams 
a full house, standing room only, and after the event, uh, we were all swamped with interviews. Then we travelled to Belmarsh, and again there were 10 camera crews there waiting for us uh, after we visited Julian, and they took some good interviews, particularly good interview from Andrew Wilkie and George Christensen. The court case hearing was this afternoon, a maintenance hearing, and during that hearing, the QC for Julian Edward Fitzgerald mentioned having a lot of trouble getting Julian to go for all of, uh, all of the uh, evidence because of uh, time constraints, and he gave uh, an example. That example was when Senator Rohrabacher visited Julian in the embassy and suggested a deal. This was a year after 2017, a year after Trump was elected. The deal was that Julian, say, Russia had nothing to do with the matter with the DNC leaks. That was mentioned in court today, which has caused a worldwide media storm. Uh, I don't know much more about it than that. The actual fact uh, that Rory Bucker did visit uh, Julian in the embassy in 2017 and offered a, a deal which was uh, rejected. Tomorrow morning we, at 6am we catch the Eurostar to Paris and have a 2pm press conference with the French lawyers as the campaign uh, moves to France. And then uh, we have uh, an interview with reporters without borders. Their head office is in France. The day after, or that evening, we fly to Vienna. And uh, on the 21st, by invitation, we meet with the Austrian Foreign Ministry. And then we fly back to England for a tremendous rally and a march from Australia House to Parliament House. Um, uh, MIA and Roger will be there um, and uh, a number of others. Roger, I, I don't know Roger. Can you tell us who Roger is? Uh, he's the, the lead singer, Roger Waters, the lead singer from uh, Pink Floyd. I'll report on that rally to you. Um, it'll be quite good. It's a, a good march. There's a couple of other important people speaking. I'll, I'll also uh, get recordings of the speeches and uh, get those to you as well. Yeah, the tide has turned and it's in full flood at the moment, but our opponents are fighting back. You have, have to be cognizant of the fact that Royal Bucker's visit was in 2017, well after the election. What their, our opponents are doing is putting the Royal Bucker visit before 2016, or in 2016, before the election, which is not true. It's just a, you know, at the moment, a turmoil of worldwide news that, you know, Trump was offering a deal to Julian to get out. So that's part of the abyss revelation. Just as a lead-in, 
they have full abuse revelations, including recording of conversations with Julian's conversations, video and sound with uh, lawyers will be mentioned at, at the exposure of the abuse uh, next week when the hearing starts. That was uh, John Shipton, who is Julian Assange's father. There was a, a big revel revelation there. I mean, he's saying that a US senator offered him a deal in exchange for him making a statement about the Russian connection with the leaking of the Hillary Clinton mm. emails there. It's, it's all mucky, isn't it? Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Um, you know, no matter what you think, the guy did reveal a, 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 what a terrible thing happened in, in the Iraq war. Mm. that we should never have been there and um, he should be really lauded for that. Um, well, well, the Americans just want to hang drawn quarter him. That's all they want to do. Yeah. Okay, we're out of time. Um, we're going to go out with uh, a, uh, a Jumping Fences song, Distancia y Latido.
pongo latido para respirar Haces distancia, pongo latido Apareciste